Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left to Straight Show. It is Thursday. We made it to our fourth day of the week. I hope you're all having a fantastic day. I hope it feels short. Tomorrow's Friday. We had a Memorial Day weekend, kind of sort of in quarantine. So I hope you're enjoying a short week out there. It is Thursday, May 28th. 2021, our very last week of May. Next week is going to be June already. Of course, I am your host, Scott Fullerton. I appreciate you coming on to the show. Yesterday, we had so much fun. Had another great pop culture minute with our J&J Buzz crew, Jeff and Josh, out of Nashville, Tennessee. Love those boys. And then a couple of great interviews. Um, Ann Walker was supposed to come on first. We had a little trouble with her mic and audio getting in. So we played our interview with Michael Orland first. Not a great, great response to Michael. Michael was the vocal coach and musical director for American Idol for 16 seasons and did such a great job. He's also been the musical director for so many amazing Broadway people like Bernadette Peters and Kristen Chenoweth. He's worked with Eric Bergen, who you know I love. Uh, So many great people. So we had a fun interview with him. And then we were able to figure out Ann's problem, and she came on live for the second half of the show we talked about our great sorted lives extravaganza this Sunday. I hope you're able to tune in. Our buddy Del Shores, Emerson Collins, have put together with the Del Shores Foundation a live streaming, live reading of the original play by Del Shores, Sorted Lives, featuring the cast from the plays, from the movies, from the television series. They're all going to be there. Leslie Jordan is so hot right now. Caroline Ray, of course, Ann Walker, who was on this week. Newell and Rosemary Alexander, who was on this week. Levi Christ was on this week. And it's just going to be a fun time. Bo Bridges will be back. Olivia Newton-John sending a special message. She can't participate for this one, but she will be back. And it's going to be a great time. They're raising money for 23 theater companies across the country. 
So please go check it out. They also have an amazing auction. You can actually win items of clothing won by Leslie Jordan in the movie. You can win Whoopi Goldberg's purple schmock she wore as the minister for a very sordid wedding. So you can find all this on Dell's foundation page. It's www.shoresfoundation.org. So head to that. We're hoping to make lots of money for these 22 theater companies across the country. It's been written up in all the major magazines, and it's going to be so much fun. And if you have not seen Leslie Jordan as Brother Boy, if you only know him from his Instagram, you are going to be in for a treat watching him portray Brother Boy the entire way through. It's an amazing feat. So, yeah, be sure to stay tuned. It's 5 o'clock Pacific, 8 o'clock Eastern time on the uh, – it's going to be streaming on YouTube, I believe. You can probably find it on Dale Shore's page as well. So look for that. Got a great show coming up for you today. In just a couple of minutes here, I'm going to do a our mental health minute with Stephanie Schroeder. We're doing those every other Thursday. And she has two great topics today talking about public health, what what is public, the the shaming of society on that word, and on homelessness. And in that vein, coming up first, our interview is going to be with actor and producer Mike Manning. You may remember him from the real world DC. And he has a documentary he's been working on for quite a few years all about youth homelessness. And we know how much that homelessness affects the LGBT youth disproportionately. So we talk about that for a couple seconds. And then we're going to finish up tonight with Ramis Ellis. She is a foodie after my own heart. She has a great Instagram where she posts pictures of food and talks about it. And we talk about how she takes these pictures. It's pretty amazing. And she is now going to be our new special correspondent foodie here on the Leftist Trade Show. So every other Thursday when Stephanie is not on, we are going to have Ramis talking about some aspect of the foodie culture. And I'm very, very excited about that. So great show. If you guys don't know, I also have a new text number. You can now text me on the telephone. It is me. You're getting directly to me. No answering service. No anyone else. It goes directly to me. It's totally free. You have to jump through a hoop to go through. You have to put contact information so I know who you are and that you accept that you know it's coming from me. Um, but other than that, it's t- it's real simple to do, totally free back and forth. It's really me. We can talk about anything you want. And I'm going to be using it for a lot of fun things on the show. Like I sent out a message today to text me for, I have two great pre-tape interviews tomorrow. I have one with Glenn North, who is on a fantastic new Bravo show and uh, called, oh God, Camp, ooh, Camp Everything. God, I forget the name of it already. I'll look that up before the end of the show. Uh, but and I have him. Then I have Tommy Atkins, who is a singer out of Europe, uh, the UK. And so if you have any questions for Glenn or Tommy, text my number. It's 330-249-7857. You may have to put the one in first. And you can text from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. Unfortunately, any of my U.K. listeners are outside of the U.S. or Canada. I can't get those texts, but everyone else, send me. We're going to do questions. We're going to have special meet and greets when I do the big gay road trip that's coming up in a few short weeks. So it's a lot of fun. So give me a text, 330-249-7857. 
You can find it on my social, and we will have a good time with the texting. I promise not to spam you in all the texting. But let's get ready to jump right to it tonight. We're going to start off here with a mental health minute. These are all pre-taped. I talked to Stephanie. We did hers this morning. Um, Mike Manning, I actually did over Memorial Day weekend this past weekend. And Ramis, I did earlier this week. So great group of uh, people. I'm going to be pressing buttons and talking in between the shots here. And then I'll come up to finish everything else at the very end. So let's go ahead and take it away with Stephanie Schroeder with today's Mental Health Minute. You're listening to Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. All righty, guys. I am so excited. It's time for our every other week Mental Health Minute by our special correspondent, Stephanie Schroeder out of New York City, co-editor of the fantastic book, Head Case. Uh, Stephanie, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Scott. What do we have to talk about this week? So I want to talk about two articles I've read. You know, over the long Memorial Day weekend, I had some time to read longer form articles from magazines and journals. Of course, I read them online. But it's made me think about the way mental health is often discussed as something separate from physical health. But the way I think right. about mental health is, you know, in a holistic, holistic type of health, like mental health, physical health, and they both have ramifications with each other. But this also includes, for me, being healthy, like not being assaulted by homophobia, by transphobia, racism, misogyny, all those things. It also includes having safe housing, stable, safe and stable housing, enough to eat. You know, I have a, the luxury of having that. And those are luxuries. Uh, but that, both of those things and many more are out of reach for a lot of people. So, you know, I tend to read about mental health and housing and homelessness. I work in the field of housing and mental health. I live with a mental health issue. I write about mental health and housing. So that's what I read about. That's my interest. Um, I mean, of course, I read other things, but this is what really appeals to me. And I'd like to share two really excellent and important articles I've read recently that I think bear repeating and reading by other people. So the first one is um, an article that was in the Boston Review on April 1st, 2020. uh, The title is Fighting for Public Health. And it is by Michael Bronski. Michael Bronski is a professor in the practice of media and activism in studies of women, gender, and sexuality at Harvard. He's also the author of A Queer History of the United States. So in this article, he kind of goes through, first, what's his definition of public health, which is the understanding that the health of each group and each individual is fully dependent on the health of all. And that's kind of what I said before, previously, is, you know, everybody, if one person isn't healthy, no one is, you know? Right. And then he goes into a little bit of history about public health and kind of settles on the settlement house movement in the late 1900s. Um, and I worked for a settlement house, which is so interesting, and how women mostly, who are nurses and social workers, helped immigrant communities in a way that was kind of defined as public health but which never translated into a U.S. policy, politically, culturally, anyway, in the concept because of the word social. And it's interesting the way he talks about the word social, like, you know, the specter of socialism, social housing, social policy, 
even even today the social option for um, you know healthcare. So you know, with that being socialism being the big scary thing, it never got adopted. Well, I thought it was interesting. I mean, you forwarded me the two articles. I really appreciate that. And yeah. also the the public perception of the word public and, and, and the connotations there surrounding almost being less than others. I thought it was very interesting the the way that he kind of broke both of those down. Yeah, the way he frames it is really interesting. You know, I mean, there's a whole, you know, masters of public health, public policy, public health policy. But what does that even mean? And, and given the the way where we are situated right now, which is in a place where we can't even think, everything's individual. You know, everyone's responsible for their own health, their own insurance, their own medical, whatever. And, you know, Bronsky, the author of this article, says that's because of decades and decades of right-wing eroding of science and social programs. Again, the word social, right? And today, um, according to Bronsky, superstition and prejudice prevail, like as we know, from the eroding of LGBTQ and other civil rights. Like, you know, we're waiting for this Supreme Court decision that we're all terrified about, about whether we're protected in employment. Right. You know, and I think the commentators think it's not going to be a good outcome for us, which is terrifying for the people in the, whatever, 26, 27, 28 states where there are already no protections. It'll leave them hanging out there. Including Um, here in Ohio, definitely. I'm right with you. Yeah, I mean, in New York... Yeah, in New York, we're lucky. We have a lot of protections, but, you know, across the country, people don't. And in this article, I guess the conclusion of Bronsky's article is that because of the growth and takeover of, you know, right-wing religious and nationalist movements and interests, the U.S. has become super isolationist and anti-sexual, among other, all kinds of, you know, I mean, we've seen these horrible incidents of racism in the past couple of days, you know, videos of cops, of white cops killing a black man and a white woman mm-hmm. calling the cops. You know, it's just like it's endless. So, and this has been encouraged by our current federal administration. So, I don't think he, I don't think Bronte comes up with any conclusion, with any solutions. But it's an interesting article to, in that he takes us through the whole history and and why it's not working. And I think leaves it to us, the reader and the public, to kind of draw our own conclusions and maybe take some action. I don't know. So I just thought it was interesting. It's in the Boston Review, bostonreview.net. And again, the, the um, title is Fighting for Public Health. It was published on April 1st. And we'll go ahead and put both these links down in the description of the episode today. So if you're looking for those, go to the Blog Talk site, and they'll be able to find those articles because they are very interesting. I really enjoyed them. Yeah, and the other one I read just over the weekend it's from the New Yorker, and it's as New Yorker style is super long. Um, it's in the June first print issue, but it was online May twenty fifth, and it's called "A Window onto an American Nightmare." And the subtitle is "As the Homelessness Crisis and the Coronavirus Crisis Converge: What Can We Learn from One City's Struggles?" by Nathan Heller. And by one city, he's talking about San Francisco in particular the framing of his article. Um, and he, and he, he, he focuses on San Francisco, of course, but like, you know, this could be anywhere. And he points this out. It could be New York. It could be Portland. It could be anywhere with a high population of homeless people, which is, are everywhere, but are hidden in a lot of places. And, and, and he approaches the story from the, the point of view of both homeless people 
Like we, we get a flavor of like, you know, five or six characters who are homeless people, like not characters, but you know, they're, they're, they are of character and draw the picture of like what they, what, how they became homeless, how they're staying homeless, how they got housed, how, what kind of services they receive. What are their really like case studies people, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really interesting little capsule. But but more than that, he talks to providers and politicians all over San Francisco, you know, the mayor, her her um staff, social service providers, other kinds of other people, one who runs a kind of tough love boot camp at her restaurant, um, for homeless people and you know, makes them shave their head and renounce drugs and all kinds of stuff, which leads me to leads me to his next conclusion or even just discussion. Everyone thinks their solution is what is the solution for homelessness in America. (laughs) But it's all of these, to me, and working in the homeless services field, in the mental health field, you know, which a lot mental illness leads to a lot of homelessness, so do a lot of other things, domestic violence, um, drug use, poverty, the lack of affordable housing, you know, the list goes on and on. But it's not just one of these solutions, you know. It, it, because it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. These solutions, these like discrete solutions, a list of whatever, 10 of them or whatever, works for some people. It works for a good number of people, one of these, number one, number five, number seven, number 10. But it doesn't right. work for all homeless people, you know, and I feel like at least the media writes about the homeless, like they're the homeless individuals are a monolith, and there's one way to do there's one way to eradicate homelessness. Well, if that were the case, we wouldn't have homelessness, right? So to me, it's about a multitude of things, which is, you know, recognizing why people become homeless and stay homeless, as well as why there is a lack of basic care and resources, you know, in our country, like a true safety net for folks in this country and how to, and how to implement one, implement. And this kind of goes back to the public health issue that Bronsky wrote about, why even do we have homelessness? I mean, I, I've studied homelessness in the Netherlands, which is really interesting, and they have a whole different perspective. I mean, I've seen in Norway and Finland, these you know Scandinavian European countries, but they handle it much different. And their and their reasons for people being homeless is also much different. But they're bringing they're bringing new and innovative ideas into it. And I think the U.S. is stuck in a bit of a rut of thinking about these like handful of solutions and not thinking further than that. So again, this article is right. in uh, the current issue of the New Yorker. It's also online, um, a window onto an American nightmare by Nathan Heller. And I, and, you know, I recommend reading them. I just told you some of, some of what it is. Um, this one in particular, like I said, is New Yorker style, super long, but I think worth it. No, I thought it was extremely interesting. As you said, it gave a lot of different artic- different ways that people are approaching it, some different solutions. Um, some are amazing. Some, like I said, are, are better in certain situations and not for others. I really liked a lot of the ideas. I didn't like the one that kept giving them multiple chances over and over again. If they were kicked out of one housing, they got to go to another one. Wasn't happy mm-hmm. about that one especially. Um, but um, I think overall – the there was a, a great review of the different policies and also uh as you said talking about these people that they talk to 
how the relapses occur and why they occur, and it gave a little bit of a glimpse mm-hmm. into that that you don't often see. Right, and I think you know it's, it's the it's the part of homelessness that people who aren't homeless generally don't understand that it's super complicated. It's not just it's not just being pushed out of a home because of uh, lack of affordability. It's not just because of mental illness. It's not just because of substance use. It's a multitude of things for most people. You know, it's not just one. It's a it's a panopoly of enormous proportion. Right. So, yeah, Definitely. I just, want, I just want to tell people what I'm thinking about, talking about what I'm reading. I mean, it's, I think that both articles are instructive in their own ways and kind of get to the heart of certain things that I think a lot of people think about. You know, folks listening, you know, I think we're conscientious people and think about these kind of things and what can we do when I, well, these articles don't necessarily, are not action points. It could, you know, put people to action or at least thinking about, like, this isn't what I always read about this, you know, in a newspaper story where it's like, oh, these crazy homeless people running around screaming. You know, that's a very superficial coverage of that kind of issue. Well, I appreciate you bringing this to attention. I think uh, we had a lot of great response uh, from your first appearance two weeks ago. I'm looking oh, forward to, to every other week here. It's going to be um, – it's going to be a good time. I mean, it's it's great to from that's one of the reasons I did this for to have people that are in the field that are uh, quote unquote professional or at least work with professionals and are able to give a good perspective. So thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. And I'll have something different next time. There you go. And let everyone know where they can find you on social media and talk about that great book of yours as well. Yeah, so I'm the, the editor, co-editor, and I also have a piece in of Headcase. LGBTQ artists and writers on mental health and wellness. And I think it's actually writers and artists. Um, It's an anthology with a number of pieces. I think there are 28 pieces of the whole spectrum of LGBTQ folks. And it cuts across racial, ethnic, socioeconomic, age, gender identification, and other lines. So it's giving voice to people who don't usually have a voice. And it's really interesting, I think, and I think it should be read widely. And um, you can find me at Stephanie Schroeder Author, A-U-T-H-O-R.com. And also on, on social media, Twitter and Instagram at StephS910. Follow me. There you go. Stephanie, thanks so much for being our special correspondent in mental health. We will see you in two weeks. Guys, we're going to play out a little song. We'll be back in this little bit. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. Hey, how you doing? Well, I guess I'm doing okay. An easy answer. But what else am I going to say when the times are tough? I put my guard up with a smile on.
Alexander with Cry Again out of New York. If you missed Monday's show, we featured him on Monday's Musical Monday episode. Fantastic up-and-coming singer-songwriter that I just fallen in love with. 
Speaking of fall in love, I'm so excited to have my next guest on the show. It's been a while. He's been busy both in front and behind the camera with his duties as an actor and or producer in projects running from the wild ride in youthful days to guesting on the hugely popular Teen Wolf series to the thought-provoking series of connections in Six Degrees of Separation to portraying the same character in two series, The Bay and YA. And I really loved his relevant documentary, Lost in America. Guys, he's been working, y'all. Let's take a second and catch up with the handsome and talented Mr. Mike Manning. Mike, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing really well. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me back. I appreciate you taking the time to come back. It's been a while since we talked. Um, I've been really enjoying catching up with a lot of my old guests here. I, of course, I follow you on social media, and you got that million-dollar smile and always such a positive attitude. How are you holding up during this whole COVID quarantine? You doing okay? Yeah, yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm trying to make the most of it. And I feel like everybody that says that they're completely fine is is lying. Um, I right. feel like this is something that our country has never faced before in this in this larger scale. It's a worldwide pandemic. Every country is, is facing it in different ways. And it's, it's completely changing our way of life uh, before our eyes. And, and I think that, um, I, I think that, you know, there are, there are people that uh, can go about their daily lives uh, doing as much as they can from home. But for a lot of us, you know, it's, it's changing the way we do business. It's changing with, you know, with phone calls and with Zoom and with things like that. Um, it, what, one thing it has done for me is it has given me the time. I think that, there's, you know, living in Los Angeles, there's always those those friends that you meet and you're like, oh, hey, we should definitely do something together. Or, you know, there's always those hobbies that you think to yourself, oh, man, I would really love to do that if only I had the time. And and that's right. what I've sort of been, been trying to focus on. So I'm I'm actually writing a lot more. I'm writing writing a couple scripts with some friends of mine. I'm um, I'm, pl- I'm playing the guitar more. I'm uh, going out uh, and hiking in nature and spending time outside just doing, like, secluded nature hikes and trails and things. So, you know, I'm really trying to stay positive and stay healthy mentally and, and take time for, you know, myself and also time to do the creative things that I've been putting off for so long. And also my dogs, they, they love it. My dogs, have, I've never spent more time <laughs> with them. <laughs> so. So They're going to have they, separation they, anxiety when this is over, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, with this quarantine thing. They love it. So, <laughs> But, nice. um, but yeah, it's, I mean, good, day, good days and bad days. Good days and bad days. There you go. We all are. I mean, there's no right or wrong way to do a pandemic. It's all new to all of us. So I understand mm-hmm. that completely. Um, let's talk a little bit. Um, I mean, we've talked, I had your background on the last show. I mean, it wrote from your Colorado upbringing to real world, the politics, your entertainment career. Um, you give so much of yourself to all of it. What are you really excited to get back to as this starts to slowly wind down here? Well, I, I love, so there was this project I've been working on this, this documentary um, and you mentioned it in the intro lost in America for five years now. And it's a documentary about homeless youth. And it started out as this tiny little passion project that a few of us got together to do. And in my mind, I was going to spend a couple months on it, maybe a year. Um, and five years later, we finally finished the film. But uh, the, it, it beca- what it became was amazing. It started out as this, this tiny little thing. And then uh, little by little, it, it grew and it grew and it grew. And we got other people involved. And, and now a film with 
you know, Rosario Dawson and Jewel are in the film, and they're also executive producers. We have Halle Berry. We have John Bon Jovi. We have Tiffany Haddish. We have Rebecca Gayhart-Dane. So it's like we have Sanaa Lathan. Um, so we have a lot of really talented, really well-known people in our film and supporting the film. And it's not just, oh, hey, insert celebrity here. It's like we got people that really talk about their either their experiences living on the streets or in their cars or in, you know, battered women's shelters or doing charitable work specifically for these organizations and having a knowledge base around helping these youth. So, uh, so it's, it's really become a, a wonderful film and we were, we released, we were releasing in theaters in February and then obviously uh, COVID-19 happened and everything closed down, the theaters being the first, uh, among the first things to close down. So unfortunately right. our, our theatrical release was sort of cut short, but we are releasing uh, digitally June 9th. So <clears throat> next month. And, um, and that's something that's really exciting because uh, we're, we're hoping that, you know, while everybody's home or, you know, uh, having this extra time that they'll, They'll watch the film and support the film and, and learn a little bit more about what homeless youth are going through in our country today and how to help those youth. Congratulations on that. I can't wait to see that. I mean, the LGBTQ youth is such a huge population in that homeless um, minority there, and it's great that we are focusing on it. It's something that I'm going to talk about it later, too, because I think there's so much we can do when this is over. Hopefully, everyone is learning a little more patience, learning to love each other a little bit more. And we really have a starting over point if we decide to take it. So I think a film like can really do a lot of good putting it out in the world, especially with these big names attached. So good on you for doing that, man. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, thank you. I, and that's that's exactly, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what we hope to do with this film is just to to show people what these youth are going through. I, I, I became involved with this film because um, back, I guess this was like maybe 2011, 2012, um, around when I first had moved to Los Angeles, and I, I was volunteering for, um, I was doing some volunteer work, and I, because of everything that I did on the real world, there was this organization called LifeWorks, uh, which was sort of a, a, a sister organization to the Los Angeles LGBT Center. And they they had a program where they actually took youth off the streets. It's a transitional living program. They take youth off the streets and they teach them job skills. They help them with their diploma or their GED. They, um, they give them a place to live and, you know, food to eat and everything. And they actually help uh, reintegrate them into society or, or really provide that safety net for youth that would otherwise be lost uh, on the streets and have nowhere to go. So, so I fell in love with the, they gave me this award um, because of some of the political stuff I did on real world. And I, I didn't really know much about the organization at the time. And then I became, I, you know, I went in, I took a tour of the LGBT center and I remember walking around the, the center and walking around this, uh, where they had this program. And they had a bunch of different rooms, and each room had, had bunk beds, and this is where the kids obviously would live. And I remember looking around, and I saw the bunk beds, and I saw posters on the walls and trophies on the dressers and pictures, you know, on the walls. And, and it looked to me like a normal teenager's room. 
And, and I was going from room to room. I was learning more about the program. And I remember looking on one of the beds, and there was this yellow stuffed monkey. And just like this little simple yellow stuffed monkey, but it was the, one of the same stuffed monkey that I had on my bed when I was a kid. It was a yellow, oh, wow. yellow stuffed monkey. Wow. I won it at a carnival or something. And I just remember in that moment breaking down. And I, I like, you know, there were tears in my eyes, and I, I'm trying to hold it together in front of the volunteer that was taking me around the, the place. And, and I just remember thinking in that moment, like, wow, this, this could be me. These kids are here by no fault of their own. They have done nothing to deserve not having a place to sleep at night. And they are, their survival is dependent upon the kindness of strangers. I have to do something. So that it was that moment that homeless youth, um, particularly LGBT youth and, and, you know, homeless youth became my, my sort of mission, my cause. And then, um, and so I, I started volunteering there. I, I threw a couple fundraisers for them. And then a couple years later is when that documentary found me. And it was just sort of a happy marriage of, of getting to create something that would help spread the message of a cause that became so important to me. Well said. That is so terrific to hear. And I mean, that's one of the things I love about you, man. You have a great heart. You you find these passion projects or they find you. I mean, I remember you've worked with a project that's close to my heart, which is the Thirst Project. Um, I just got a text yesterday. They're on their 11th year. They're, they're giving everyone, I think, like 10,000 three-month trials to the Endel app that I downloaded yesterday and kind of fell in love with it. It's sort of like one of those Calm apps. Um, mm-hmm. But you really put your heart into so many different things. Uh, are they finding you? Do you find them? I mean, I'm sure they would love to have your voice, but what really sparks a passion in you um, when these things come to you? Yeah, I think it's just, I think at least so far in my life, it's been these organizations finding me and it's sort of the stars aligning and, and something that feels right in, in my heart to get involved with. With the Thirst Project, I um I actually I met Polly Perrette who played Abby on NCIS um sure. I, for for like twelve or thirteen years. Um, I met her in church, and we became friends. And she invited me to, um, she invited me to uh, a gala for the Thirst Project. And this was, I believe, nine years ago. So it was maybe their second year, and um, and it was this. I went there and. I learned about the Thirst Project, and I fell in love with it. I fell in love with their mission. I fell in love with what they're trying to do for communities around the world, providing them safe, clean drinking water. And I became uh, really good friends. He's one of my best friends now uh, with the founder, Seth Maxwell. And uh, throughout the course of our friendship, I just learned more about the global water crisis and what Thirst Project was doing and, and became more and more involved. And now I'm on the board. And I actually am very hands-on in um, I'm giving my opinion about what the organization is doing, how they're spending their money and their resources, and, and really getting a behind-the-scenes look on all of the amazing things that they're doing that they don't even advertise. They're doing so many good things in people's lives just for the sake of doing them, not for a press mm-hmm. article or anything like that. So it's really become an organization right. that I care a lot about. Well, as I said, thank you for your heart, man. Let's go ahead and start circling back to your creative side and to uh, your entertainment side. 
I love. I remember somewhere talking, you talking about saying you try to incorporate creative activism into your projects, and I think you just gave a great example about that. Talk about how this creative activism manifests itself in what you're looking to as a producer, because you were just creating some fantastic works out there, just in so many ways that, speaking of not people knowing about, you're behind the scenes in a lot of great things, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, for me, there's, it, it's two sides of the coin. It's on one side, I'm an actor, and I, you know, I train, and I try to stay creative, and I try to stay, uh, I, I try to stay available so that if there are film or television projects that I would be a good fit for, you know, I can, I can meet with the director or the writer or whatever, and, and possibly be a part of those. Um, and, and that's sort of, sort of half my life, half my time. And then the other half of my time is uh, writing and creating my own material. And I just sort of made the decision, like if I'm going to produce and put my energy into things that I can choose and create myself, then why not make those, um, make those things have a social message and, and make those things be projects that I'm proud of. And, and all the, the topics are, are, you know, they vary uh, based on sort of what I care about at that point, you know, at that, that year. Um, <laughs> right. But I just, yeah, but these, these projects, I think, honestly, like I, I heard the saying, like when you, when you're on the right path, everything just makes sense. And, you know, everything just comes to you. And that's really how it's been for me. I'll, I'll meet great people. Um, I'll share something that we're all passionate about. And then we find a script and we make this movie and the movies do really well because everybody involved is super passionate. I did this movie. I produced this movie um, that my friend Liam McKendrick wrote. It was called MFA, which stands for Master of Fine Arts. And it was a movie about uh, uh, a female art student that gets sexually assaulted on campus and she turns around and goes on this vigilante mission to kill a bunch of rapists and so it's um it's a thriller <laughs> it's, it's it's fun it has you know the the sexiness the violence the all that other stuff that make for an entertaining movie and you get that escapism but at the end of the day the movie comments very heavily on rape culture sexual assault um that sort of thing so it was something that like i was i had a lot of fun doing because uh, I was, I was, you know, a producer on that. But then at the same time, uh, I, I was really proud to put it out into the world. And for a lot of the conversations, we had a, a female writer, a female uh, director, and a female star sitting back and just watching this team really kick ass and make something great. And to be able to support them doing that was just really, um, really something I enjoyed. That's awesome. I love that. Well, speaking of, of combining your two worlds here, let's talk about The Bay and the spinoff YA. I mean, you've been both producer and actor on that. Congratulations on all the Daytime Emmy nominations that came out the other day. Talk about that project, what drew you to it, and uh, what makes you so proud of that? Yeah, well, if we're being honest, the show has been a success without me involved. It's in its fifth <laughs> season. The fifth, the fifth season just aired. And they, they have, I think, something like 18 Emmy wins over the, the last four seasons and, like, something like 36 nominations. Now it's, you know, now the nominations are in the 40s just with the new announcements that came out. So initially they I found out about the show, and they asked me to be involved, and I said, oh, like, 
of course I want to be involved with an Emmy winning show. Yeah, sure. Let's do sure. that Emmy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, let's do it. So, so I, um, but then I, I became friends with the creator um, and the writer and the creator. And uh, we came, we came up with this really great character for me. And it was a character that, um, that I was really, I've, I've never been able to play before. And so I said, creatively, I was like, Oh yeah, of course I would love to do this. And so I, um, the character is really interesting and I, and I'm not sure if I'll ever have this experience again in my life. So it was a really cool experience. On the Bay, I play a new love interest for one of the characters that is a series regular, that has been a series regular for the past four seasons. And so, I, so I'm a new love interest. So I am introduced to the story as this new it's, – it's, um, his name is Eric Nelson. I'm his new friend that comes into town, and there are several episodes where – you realize that we used to be best friends when we were younger, but it's been a couple of years since we've seen each other and a lot has changed. He's done some experimenting and so have I. And so we sort of meet each other uh, and the audience isn't really sure uh, or neither are we, we're not really sure if we're best <laughs> friends or if, if there's something more there. And then what's cool about it is on the YA which is the spinoff, which a lot of characters from the Bay are, are, are going to be seen in YA. YA hasn't aired yet. They're still in post-production. Um, I get to play that same character. I get to play, his name's Caleb McKinnon, but in the YA, I am a teacher. So I have, so you see the exact same character with a lot of similar characters that are in the same series, but it's in, an, it's in a whole different environment. He's in a school. He's a professional. He's trying to teach these, these younger students um, about all of these other things. And so you see, so I was, and we shot him at the same time. So I was playing the exact same character on two shows that were basically different versions of the same world, but I was playing wow. the two polar opposite sides of that same character and we were shooting at the same time. So it was, it was such a cool experience. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know if it'll ever happen for me again, but it was, uh, that was really, really, really awesome. And the fact that we had seven daytime Emmy nominations for the Bay was, was incredible. Um, I, the cast and the crew and everybody involved has, have just been so welcoming to me and just so loving. And, and I feel like part of their family now. So it's really cool to see everybody celebrate and, you know, be part of that. That is so great. And it has, like you said, it's been around for a while. It's an amazing cast. It has the soap opera aspect to it with some of the biggest stars from soaps on it. It's got the adventure and the excitement and the mystery and the intrigue. So it has it all. So congratulations on that. That's got to be a lot of fun. I can only imagine, my friend. And I saw that, um, I don't know if if you guys are destined to work together forever, but Cody St. New, who's been on Teen Wolf and been on the Bay and been on other projects you've worked on. Did you guys ever work together on Teen Wolf? He's been an amazing ally to our community. He seems like a very yeah, cool Cody guy to work is, with. Yeah, Cody, Cody is awesome. He's such a sweetheart. We've been friends for a long time. I'll tell you something that I haven't told anybody else in any interview ever. So, <laughs> so Cody, when I first moved to L.A., and – I think he and I agreed to never talk about this, so I'm just messing it all up right now, but whatever. So <laughs> uh, when I first moved to L.A., I I had hosted – I was a, a red carpet host on the, the AMAs, the American Music Awards. And through that, I met this guy named David, 
and David had this idea to put together uh, a boy band. And I had done some singing in in high school, and I had done musicals and things, and I, I you know, was, was involved in music. Um, and, and so he met me when we were hosting American Music Awards together and invited me to this meeting. And I had no idea what to expect. I show up to this meeting like it's going to be a sit-down thing. The meeting's at a dance studio, and he wants us – there's a group of guys there, and he wants us to practice some choreography – and talk about starting a boy band. And I had no idea, and I don't think Cody did either, <laughs> but Cody was, Cody was one of the guys that was there. And so we show up. We have no idea what we're getting into. We end up doing this, like, choreographed dance for two hours and and just, just like, sort of just trying to be Where is the lost footage on this one? I need it. Oh, my I goodness. Say, <laughs> I will never – I don't think there's any footage, and I will never – I would never tell you if there were. But it was it was and so that was my first kind of time meeting Cody, and then over the over the years we uh, we became buddies, and then he was on Team Wolf, and we we actually didn't work together on Team Wolf. I was in the last season, and he wasn't uh, he wasn't on the show anymore by then. Um, so I gotcha. so we didn't work together on Team Wolf, but we, we were friends during that, and um, we actually shot another we shot Six Degrees of Separation together. And uh, and that was where we really became close. Uh, it was a small cast, and it was a project where we had to be. Every character was so vulnerable in their own way that the actors really had to trust each other and become close to make the set mm. feel like a safe to really go there. And um, and so I, I spent a lot of time with Cody during that experience and. Uh, and and that's when we became we became better friends. That is awesome. And a behind the scenes scoop. Oh my gosh, we're gonna burn that footage if you ever find it. I can tell already. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for yeah. sharing that. I promise not to keep you too long because we are actually taping this on Memorial Day weekend. So I appreciate you taking the time. I want to get real quickly back to the writing. You say you're writing some scripts. I mean, you have had an interesting life, my friend. We're talking real world. We're talking. You work for. Governor Polis now. He wasn't governor at the time. You have this amazing entertainment career. Have you ever thought about writing a little bit of your life story? You're so freaking humble. I can't imagine doing that, but I think it would be an amazing book. Well, thank you. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever do that. Uh, you know, maybe when I'm 100 and tired and have nothing else to do, then maybe <laughs> maybe I'll do that. But by, by then, nobody will be reading books. We'll be absorbing info and these microchips in our brains. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, uh, I'm not sure. I actually, the first script I ever wrote was based on a young press secretary that was challenging his congressman when he found out that his congressman was corrupt. So the actual, the first, the, the script, when I moved to Los Angeles, the script that sort of got my foot into the door with um, TV development was actually a script uh, that was based on politics. So I, I did actually try to take some of my own experience and, and write it into a script. And that's how I met my producing partner. We started working together on all these things. So, so I actually have, I did take, cause they always say, write from what, you know, I, I have done that. Um, and this, and the script it's, you know, it's changed over the years. Uh, the lead is now this, this female press secretary and, and it's, it has a lot of great elements to it. And, and I might bring it out one day. I might, you know, try to try to produce that and make that happen. But, um, yeah, for now I'm just you know focusing on on other things. 
Well, Mike Manning, it's been an absolute pleasure being able to catch up with you. Thanks so much for taking your time. For those that have been living under a rock, I don't know where they can find you on your social media, um, your website, things like that. Yeah, everything's just really easy. I keep it simple. It's um, My handle on all social media is just at Mike C. Manning. And then uh, the website's just MikeCManning.net. For Mike, always a pleasure. Best of luck on all your projects. You have so many uh, fingers and so many pies, and they all turn out to be some amazing pieces of work. I appreciate you, my friend. Thanks for being on the show. Scott, no, thanks for having me, man. Thanks for saying that, and um, and I appreciate you caring about the little things I'm doing. So uh, enjoy your Memorial Day weekend, too, and, and thanks, everybody else, for, for listening. You as well. Stay on the line, my friend. We're going to play out to a little bit of music. I'll be back in a little bit. You're listening to Left to Straight Show right here on the Left to Straight Radio Network.
All righty, guys and gals, we are back. That was our good friend Kenneth Mogan with You and Me. The release just came out last week. Be sure to check that out on your favorite iTunes or Spotify distributors. Guys, I'm so happy to have my next guest on. It's her very first time on the Left of Straight show. It's been a hot minute since I've even talked about foodies on the show, and I'm very excited to get back to it. She has an amazing Instagram blog where she posts some delicious-looking food from across the country. She lives in New York City, which is, of course, one of the best foodie destinations in the country. And let's talk to her all about it. Please welcome to the show for the very first time, Ramis. Ramis, how you doing? Hey, how are you, Scott? I'm doing well. I am so happy to have you on. We were connected by our good friend Jake Taylor, and I'm just yep. excited to talk to you. Yeah, this is going to be great. I mean, he told me about what you do, and, you know, I, anytime a conversation about food is prompted, I am just, I'm very excited about it. So this was an easy, like, <laughs> let's get this going. <laughs> easy. There you go. Well, well, I do want to see how you're holding up. You are in New York, and how are you doing in COVID? Are you in a, quote-unquote, essential worker and having to go out in it, or are you just kind of having to deal with everything that's going on? I mean, it's it's been a little bit weird, you know, the first few weeks, but things are getting a little bit better. Um, I am not technically an essential worker, but thankfully I still have my job. I'm working from home. Uh, my partner is an essential worker. She actually works in Brooklyn. Um, and, you know, it's it's been a weird balance, but, you know, we're doing the best we can. We're trying to follow all the rules and we're, we're doing the thing that we need to do. <laughs> there you go. Well, stay safe and healthy and Thank your partner for being on the front line there. We definitely appreciate that. Every night, you know, it's at 7 p.m. in New York. I don't know if you've heard, but we have a tradition here uh, since everything has started where at 7 p.m. you clap for all the essential workers. And it's it's been very nice. It's been super, you know, coming together. It's, it's feel, you feel very whole as a city in a way. And, you know, my girlfriend will be home by 7 p.m. So sometimes I may not want to open the window, so I'll just kind of go in the bedroom and just start clapping in front of her face. <laughs> and it's, it's, nice. and it's good. And it's, a, it's a nice thing that's been happening out here for sure. I love it. Well, I do love that. I mean, it's been really cool. It's going on. I do hope this is going to cause a small shift in our society. We see a lot of people in the States that are reopening, going back to really stupid behavior, but I love the clapping Mm -hmm. and things. If we just did that once a month for different essential people, I would love to see the camaraderie and the actual caring for our fellow man blossom out. We'll we'll see how long it lasts though, right? (laughs) Yeah, I know. I mean, and and it's like, like I said, you feel together as a community, but like, you know, I think this is one of those things where people have to really like take a look and think about, you know, who's been working the last couple of weeks and putting themselves, you know, like out there and at risk in a way. And, you know, these are the people who you really need to start paying a little bit more attention to. Exactly. Well said. Well, let's start with a little bit of background (laughs) since it's your first time on the show. Where did you actually grow up? What kind of a kid were you? And what did you first want to be when you grew up? I love all these questions. So the um, first one, I'm actually from New York. I've been, oh, excuse me, I'm born and raised in New York. I've lived here my entire life, but I've lived in various parts of New York. Um, so originally I'm from Vernon. I grew up in Middletown, New York. I lived in uh, Harrison, New York for a little bit. And then I've lived in the city. I've been here for about 10 years. As a kid, um, ooh, I, was, I was very athletic. I did every sport you could think of. Um, I was always into trying a bunch of different things and, you know, eventually that blossomed out to food. I did have one primary focus for a very long time, so I didn't get a chance to really experiment when it came to, you know, eating too many different things and traveling all over the place for, you know, cuisines and making my own things. So I was just very busy, but 
after I started to discover, um, you know, finding my own time and making my own schedule and stuff like that, I finally was able to, you know, get into trying all the different things. So as a kid, I was a little bit different and focused on, you know, a bunch of other things. Now I can kind of chill and take my time with it. Nice. I love that. All right. So let's uh, talk a little bit about, I'm not as much interested in people's coming out stories. Those are usually very personal then, but talk about when did you first come out to yourself and when did you first kind of find your tribe and, and be, feel like you were part of the community? Wow. Uh, that's, that's actually a great question because like, you know, for me, thankfully my coming out process wasn't as, I guess you could say it wasn't as scary as some stories I've heard, you know, and, and for other people it, it was hard, but it was also something that would, they felt like they could manage and, you know, still kind of make their own. And luckily I had a similar situation. Um, when I was maybe around, you know, when I was a teenager, which a lot of us, I get, you know, I feel like we all can relate on those things. And you look at, you know, people of the same sex and people of the opposite sex and you start to wonder like, you know, what, what is this feeling me? What is this about? Um, and as I got a little bit older into my later teens, around like 19, I started to really come into my own as far as, you know, recognizing, okay, I may be, I might be bisexual. Like, I'm not sure what's happening here, but I'm going to run with this. <laughs> I'm going to run with the bisexual yeah. thing. Um, I love all my vibes. I'm just kidding. Um, but no, like, you know, it was one of those things where, again, I wasn't sure. So I kind of went with that feeling. Um, maybe when I was about 22, 23, I was finding myself going, you know, to a lot more parties that were not just necessarily focused on lesbians or gay people, but, you know, just an LGBT plus family surrounding all the way around. Um, so you had people who, right. you know, you know, maybe went by as non-binary or they identified as just queer and, you know, didn't really know where they felt as far as, you know, gender went and, you know, people were gender fluid and, you know, it exposed me to a lot of other things that I felt a lot more comfortable with. So I guess now I feel like, you know, coming out for me at the time was so much easier based on what I've heard, you know, up until this point. But after I started to get a little bit more involved in, you know, everything else, I eventually, you know, my friends knew and, you know, some family members knew and I didn't really have to come out and say it. They just kind of knew and, you know, waited for me to like, I guess, throw in like, oh, I met this really cool girl the other day. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, are you going <laughs> to see her again? Like they would, they would, you know, they would like test the waters and see like what I responded to best. Um, right. but I guess you could say the process in that way was pretty easy. I, you know, I was able to make friends going out and, you know, I went on online dates and all that stuff. And it was one of those things where I eventually started going out on my own because, you know, I'd meet people, but like, if they weren't free and I'm just like, listen, I need to be around some, some ladies, I got to just go out. <laughs> I would go out by myself and <laughs> make friends that way. I know very bold. It's like crazy move, but like, I just had a couple of drinks and I was good to go. <laughs> Nice. But yeah, that kind of that was like my early on process. And then I eventually told my my mom in my mid 20s, she was the last person I told only because, you know, as a black woman as well, my family's from Jamaica. So there are certain traditions and morals that, you know, you kind of stand by people who are very old school in that way. They're, you know, they're going to stick to these certain morals. And I guess that goes to a lot of other cultures, but speaking on this one specifically. And I also grew up in a Christian church. So it was it was a very touchy subject that I wasn't sure I wanted to bring up. I eventually told her it was, it was weird at first, but she, you know, let me know right away. It doesn't matter. I love you. I will learn to come around and, you know, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Everything's okay. And it, it was really nice. And, you know, she eventually met my girlfriend and everything, everything's cool now. We're, it's good. It's nice. Very, very good. I like it. 
Well, let's say let's start with what your actual definition of a foodie is. What do you consider a foodie? Um, what does a foodie mean to you? Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> so this, this is this is a tough one. Um, so a foodie to me, I guess, would be someone who is you know they the idea of having a meal together or experiencing you know, a new cuisine or trying a new dish or checking out a new restaurant, bar, uh, a certain space. I feel like if you get super excited about the idea and it's just like, and it's, you know, if, if I ask you and your response is, yeah, that'll be cool. I'm like, okay, you, you want to go and chit chat. I want to go and talk about the food. <laughs> like, I don't want to like go and all <laughs> gag. Like, this is about the meal. Okay. <laughs> and if your response is a little bit more like, oh my God, yes, I heard about this place. It sounds so good. I went to their Instagram page. Let's do it. And I'm like, you're who I want to hang out with, you know? So like if you get excited about just a meal or like, you know, just show a slight interest in what we're about to have to eat, then I think that's, that would make you a foodie. And to me, a foodie is not necessarily a cook either. I think you just appreciate yeah. it, right? Cause I, I didn't yes, cook for a long experience. time. I'm learning, still learning, <laughs> but I don't think you necessarily have to know how to cook to be a foodie. Right. Right, no, for sure. I agree. And talk about um, when you're going out to eat and you're having this communal experience, talk about the actual experience versus the food. What do you like? As you kind of hit on it there a bit. Talk about that as far as what makes a good group of people to go out to eat with. So for me to, yeah, so whenever I'm putting a group together and I'm like, okay, you know, I really want to check out this restaurant and I feel like we need to go with at least like three to four, maybe six people or something like that. I try to reach out to people who are, like I mentioned before, you know, they're going to be excited. They're going to be really interested in possibly, you know, checking out a certain dish or, you know, they heard about this style of food and they want to be able to, you know, experience doing the whole like dipping. So for example, I guess I could give you one. <laughs> uh, there's a place in Brooklyn called, uh, oh, excuse me, I don't want to get the location wrong. There's a place called Barilla Taco. They're actually a food truck. Um, they do Barilla style tacos, if I'm saying, if I'm pronouncing the term correctly. But basically what it is, is uh, it, it's like a, a meat, like stuffed taco with, I want it's a beef. I like haven't had it in such a long time. I'm like trying to remember all the ingredients. Sorry. <laughs> but it is, it's mm-hmm. raised beef um, and it comes off the bone and they, you know, they make a broth and a soup with it. And you would put tacos into that soup. And, you know, you see the videos of it, and you're just like, first of all, I love tacos. Second of all, that looks really, like, juicy because they, like, they put the tortillas in gravy a little bit, and they doubt that it's great. Um, (laughs) But, you know, they they marinate it a little bit. They cook everything together, and you you do this whole thing where you dip it into the the soup, and it just – I see that, and I'm like, I want to do that. So I knew that there was a food truck out out here in the city that did it. I, you know, took the trip out there with my friend. He lived out in, like, far Brooklyn. I was like, dude, we got to go do this. He was like, what time? (laughs) We met up at this food truck. (laughs) We had these tacos. It was awesome. Like a French dip taco. I like that. That sounds amazing. Yes. Very, very cool. I'm going to find the name for you, but I'm going to think of it. But, yes, it was was such an awesome, like, cool, fun thing. And I believe that it's a very – it's a big trend in L.A., so next time you're out there, definitely try to, you know, see if you can find your uh, find your place. <laughs> I will look for it. Now, a food truck is in and of itself its own experience, right? I mean, do you oh, do yeah. you enjoy finding a good food truck? Is that is that an exploration you take on? I do like food trucks. The only thing is, like, it's it's been a little bit tougher for me to find them um, as far as, like, whenever there's any big food truck, like, events happening and stuff like that because they're not – as popular in New York. And when I find out about them, it's like the day of, <laughs> and I know that like in right. other places, like when I went to Portland, 
like that place, oh my God, the food truck, like Mecca, it was incredible. There was like, it was, it, the options were endless. It was like, I mean, have you been to Portland, Oregon before? Cause it's, it's fantastic for food, by the way. I lived there for four years and it wasn't a, a food truck haven as it is now, but I know uh, the area where they all meet at cause it, it, they did what's called Saturday market there all the time. And so it was mm-hmm, a big bazaar yes. type thing where they had lots of, lots of vendors food people, vendors, and, and crafts, and homemade things like that, but now it's a true, food, like you say, a food truck mecca, and I haven't been to that, so I would love oh, that. Yeah, it's really cool. It's, it's been, it's fun, like we, you know, I've gone to like a few different taco places, and like you, and for me, when I go to these these spots, I like, I look around, and I like follow the smell, and I'm like, I don't even see the names <laughs> when people ask me, like, <laughs> oh, did you try this? Did you try that? I'm like, probably, I don't know. <laughs> It's just for me, I like, I see it and it like, the aroma catches me and I like look at it and I'm like, I want that, that, that. I like eat with my eyes and then game over. Then I like start doing my like nice. research for it. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, my buddy Dom has been on the show a couple of times. Dom, he owns the mac and cheese truck there, the the food food mac truck or how's he called? The mac truck, something like that in New York City. Yeah. And I've never been to that yet. He's been on the show like three times. I haven't had a chance. And I kind of like a little mac and cheese comfort food. He serves like 12 different ways. So very, uh, very cool. I, I, great. I do love to find a good food truck. Now you do it all. I love the, the three things that you look for, flavor, presentation, and the money shot, how it looks and appears. Talk about oh, yeah. that. And talk about how that's combined with your love of travel and photography. Have those things um, always merged or have you kind of started with one or the other and just been able to pull that together like a perfect dish i mean sort of so as a kid um what i was mentioning before when i was saying i was really busy for a certain period of time i played a tennis for about 10 years competitively so i mm. spent a lot of time yeah <laughs> so i spent a lot of time on the court um you know doing a lot of practice a lot of time in the gym and when i wasn't doing those things i was traveling for tournaments so during those moments of you know being on a plane you know three or four times a month and uh, you know, just doing, just being on the move a lot, you know, road trips five times a year, six times a year. It was, it was a lot of moving around. And I've been to Ohio a couple of times, actually. I've been to, uh, I've actually been to Columbus, Ohio. So it's, oh, nice. I've, I've been to a few, yeah, <laughs> so I've traveled down to a few different places. So that kind of got me comfortable with the travel sensation of, you know, like preparing for a trip and, you know, kind of saying, okay, this is my itinerary, you know, here's time. And, you know, this is at the time when MapQuest was cool and, navigation systems were happening so like I had to make sure okay like I had my travel plans <laughs> I knew at the time I was leaving this is where all the rest stops were okay I'll, I'll stop and get gas here if I need like I had that whole plan and I love the idea of planning things out in that way so um when I finally took a break from tennis and I started to do my own thing got a full-time job and I had weekends off and all the things um I learned how to like start planning like my own trips and a few of the trips ended up being planned around food so whenever I would nice. Plan, yeah, so whenever I would plan stuff now, I'm like, okay, before I do anything, let me make sure going to this place is actually going to be worth it because I don't want to just go there if it's, you know, if it's like one site <laughs> and I'm not, and I'm not going to eat well, like it's not, it, it doesn't work out. So it, it, that's how that kind of started, but it definitely um, tied into like when I was in high school, I got really into photography. So that kind of like slowly made its way through my life into this time where like, I'm like, oh my God, I can finally like practice and like get better at my pictures and I like look at my timeline every so often and I'm just like oh the glow up is real <laughs> you know so like it's, it's it's a fun experience where I get to like practice that fun hobby and 
you know, be able to still travel and, you know, see a lot of different places, which is like fucking cool and awesome. And, you know, that, that definitely comes together nicely. I, I like that. I love that. That's awesome. I just found the foodie app on my phone that takes pictures of food and makes it pretty. I've never heard of that before. Cause I, don't, I, I do my food from time to time. I take pictures, but I don't always take pictures of it. And so somehow I came across this foodie app and it takes beautiful uh, pictures. It gives, has all the filters. Do you use that at all? So I do. I definitely touch on my photos. I mean, you know, photos are, photos are dull. <laughs> so um, I do definitely go ahead and make some um, adjustments and stuff like that. But I use a slew of apps only because, you know, depending on the outcome of the photo itself, I may say, okay, I might want to do this kind of, you know, touch to it. So I may open like the Photoshop app or like I'll say, you know, maybe I want to add some cool effects to my videos and then I'll open up the um, Fonto app. So these are all like a few different, you know, things that I like to use and mix up just based on the kind of content I got going on. Nice. So that was my next question because you do have this, you've turned it into a, a, photographic blog on your Instagram, the shots mm-hmm. are amazing. So I was wondering Thank how you. many, what it takes to create those and, and take the shot. How many shots do you usually take of a particular dish? And then how long does it take to edit? Is it, uh, cause it'd be short to long or is it always long or has it come down to uh, science now? I, I wish I could say it's come down to the science, but to be, to be totally <laughs> fair, I am, I, I am a little bit of a perfectionist. So when I'm, you know, when I do take my photos, I <laughs> sometimes, and I, I and I don't know if it's because people haven't said it because like, you know, people can be embarrassed, but I, no one's ever said to me like, can you please stop? <laughs> so like, I do get up on the chair and I do like, okay, you know, move your arm, hold it <laughs> like this, do that, position it this way. You know? <laughs> That's hilarious. And my girlfriend, bless her, bless her heart, she literally takes like all my. <laughs> all my direction, all my, you know, like, okay, hold it this way. And she's like, wait, I got to move this. I don't want anyone to see my nail. It doesn't look good. And like, it's like a whole thing, but, um, I do. I That's probably nerve right like, there. True love is how they <laughs> hold your plate for you. <laughs> I, I had this conversation with another friend because she makes her boyfriend do the same thing. And she's like, oh my God, he has the best hand. And like, we get into this whole, it's, it's the whole thing, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so important when your partner can like do the thing for you with you. It's uh, it's very nice. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like <laughs> between that, I probably take like, tw- oh God, 15 to 20 photos and it, it, and it depends. Cause like if I'm sitting and the lighting behind me looks really good, I don't, I, maybe I don't need to take that many photos. I might need to just move the plate a couple of times and like lift my hands a few times. And, like that's it. Maybe it's like somewhere around 10, but if we're in a space where, you know, okay, there's, it's maybe it's a little darker and I got to like hold my girlfriend's phone light when one way and I got to put my phone the other way. And it's just like, so you got to try to find a better angle. So if it's like really dark, that's when I like struggle a little bit more, but if it's, you know, nice natural lighting, it might, it might just be there waiting for me already. There you go. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. I love the collaborative <laughs> process with the girlfriend. That is fantastic. I love that. Yeah. It's important. Um, now talk about, are you um, a flavor person more than an ingredient person? Are you fine with just a real plain presentation with lots of flavor? Or do you like seeing lots of things uh, on an item, drag it to the kitchen and see what happens? Yeah. Build, build, build. So, I mean, it depends. Yeah. So it kind of depends because, um, you know, for I, I do, well, first let me say, I do love flavor over ingredient because, it really doesn't matter what I'm eating. I mean, it matters what I'm eating, but like it doesn't matter too much what I'm eating versus how it tastes because I want to be able to say, okay, guys, 
I had this really weird thing the other day, but it was really, really good. And it was super unexpected. And people do eventually come up to me and, you know, say like, oh my God, I tried that thing that you talked about. It was so good. Or, you know, you should really go to this place because I know that you like this or you might really like that. So for me, it's, 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 again, it's a matter of like the experience of just trying something versus like being very particular on like what's in it. Um, But also, what was the what was the other part of that question? I'm sorry, I know that was pretty <laughs> No, that was that was pretty much it. Is like if you if there was a, a specific preference for do you like lots to a lot of build on it something. Some people like stuff ah. stuff with stuff. You need to have eight thousand toppings on a burger when you can have just a really good flavor to a burger with one or two things. Well, now let's not forget we are still doing the photos. So I mean, the more crazy stuff on it, the better. You know, you know, in a sense. So like. It, it definitely gotcha. does make for a good photo if it does have a lot more things going on. But if it's just, if it's like a, you know, if it's a really good pasta from like a really great Italian place, usually those are not going to be wildly dressed up besides like, you know, really good sauce, really well cooked pasta and maybe some cheese and like some peppers or something on top of it. But besides that, right. it can be very simple, but it could also taste out of this world. So it, you know, it, it could have that, you know, one way or the other, or maybe I'll have uh, you know, some crazy nachos or something like that from, you know, for example, I, I go to Three Sheets Bar a lot, you know, can't wait to go back there. But Three Sheets in NYC, <laughs> they have these nachos that have this, you know, this incredible dressings on it. And again, mind you, it is just basic cheese, jalapeno, um, you know, lettuce, uh, beans maybe, and like, you know, some sour cream, stuff like that. But it looks great to the camera. So, and it, and it tastes like fine. <laughs> so like, it's just one of those things where, you know, you're trying to find the balance between the two. But I mean, good food is, good food is great food and good photos are beautiful photos. So. That's there you go. Well said. Now you're in New York, which is one of the food hubs, and it's not just a melting pot of people and ethnicities, it's a melting pot of different types of food. Are uh-huh. there certain neighborhoods that are just um how do you how many neighborhoods of foods have you found in your travels? Because there's so many different types of people there. Um what yeah. how do you break it down? So okay. So I think like the Okay, so being in New York City, the one one area that I think like you're gonna find a million food options, some really good food options, and you know it's, it's kind of like endless, like there's so many. Um, it's definitely gonna be the East Village, Lower East Side. Like you're gonna have places like uh, you know Cat's Deli is gonna be down there, and you're gonna have like incredible, you know, like Auto Tacos. <laughs> down there and you have like you know you have a lot of different places that you know you have a lot of like asian cuisines as well so the options are endless and you're gonna have a lot of different things to choose from and i mean incredible like mr taka ramen like there's a few different places that you're going to be able to say okay i have i could i could sit on like one corner (laughs) and point out like 10 restaurants that i could like eat from it's it's crazy Mm -hmm. um another area that i think is definitely starting to like build its food I guess for me personally, it's build its food like reputation is definitely going to have to be, I think health kitchen. Like it's, it, it's not anything crazy as far as like food goes, but like I've been able to find a couple like little hidden spots there. Um, even on the Upper East Side, which is where I live now, I've been able to again, find like, you know, a couple like really little hidden gems and there aren't that many places where in my personal opinion, that really, sparked my interest too much and I, you know I'm guilty of ordering from the same places on Grubhub when I am home but when I do go to other places <laughs> in the city and I'm like you know maybe I'm at a friend's house or something and I'll see something that looks a little bit interesting or even just ask a recommendation I'm ready to excuse me try something else that's out there but 
there are a couple places out here that are still kind of nice, but definitely the East Village is where you're going to like hit the nail on the head, Lower East Side, like it's crazy down there. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I've heard the, that Hell's Kitchen has totally turned around. It's become so gay-centric now, I guess, and it's really turned, it used to be kind of a bad neighborhood. Now it's just very yeah. trendy and stuff. So, yeah, very cool. Yeah, I've, I've, spent, like a lot. Lot. I've spent like too much time in Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> Now, one of the problems I have, because I can't get to New York as often as I used to, um, and even when I used to go fairly often every other month or so, the thing that drives me crazy about New York, and I want to know if you come across this, is because of the competition, because of the prices of rents and everything, my favorite restaurants are usually gone within one year to two years from the time I've been there, sometimes six months. Um, Have you come across that at all, a lot of restaurant turnover? Uh, yeah. And, you know, again, that's something that's been happening in my neighborhood in particular. And I think it's because, you know, since it's so residential and people are trying to, you know, discover that next neighborhood to really make like really cool and fun. You do happen to see that here in this particular neighborhood. Um, but for me, I've been lucky enough to find places that I can go back to. There was one place though that had a sushi pizza and this was when sushi pizza just came like, you know, through like, you know, insider food or something like that. I think that might've been where I heard about it. And it was like this popular craze that was starting to take wind. And I found a place that had sushi pizza and it was really good. My girlfriend and I had it a couple of times. And I think we, after our like third time, we really tried to find it online and we couldn't find it. Come to find out they closed. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Like this is, this is fantastic. But luckily I've been able to find a lot more places that I can go back to on a regular basis and, you know, harass the same people and look at the menu like it was the first time. <laughs> nice. Now, are either you or your girlfriend are cooks? Do you guys cook much at home? I love cooking. I've actually discovered that I enjoy cooking quite a bit in the last, like, two years or so. Um, she doesn't cook too much, <laughs> but I don't mind cooking for her because she is, like, very good at making me feel like I'm the best chef ever sometimes. So, like, I'll cook something, and Aww. it can be very simple, and I'll look at her, and I'm just like, how is it? And she's, like, really good. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> nice. So if you so that, that were to cool. go on any of the food channel or cooking channels, cooking competitions, what would you like to try first? Uh, MasterChef. That is like, I feel like I would excel at MasterChef. Not that I'm like a MasterChef, but I feel like the competition and the style of like, you know, the way that they do everything, I feel like I could like, you know, bang out a couple of like Google searches and be like, how do I make this thing? Done. Got it. <laughs> and like get right uh-huh. to it. Like, I, I love the energy that they have really. I like it. Very, very cool. I want to finish up here with, usually I do a five questions with my guests off air, but I'm going to do this on air with you and then I'll add it to the everything. I'm going to twist yours up a little bit. My five questions are five, usually a little different questions, but as we've been talking, I've been kind of thinking, and I think we're going to include it in this. I have a bunch of questions that I had where I'm looking for some top five things I would like your advice on. Okay. Okay. All right. So for you, give me your top five ingredients or flavor profiles. Oh, my God. Okay. Top five ingredients or flavor profile. So it has to be, it has to be a little, a little salty. Like I love me some bacon. So if it has bacon on there, that's probably a really good thing. Um, I do love some jalapenos. A little spicy would be good. Um, oh my God. I love some avocado. So that nice creamy texture is like 
oh, fantastic. Mm. I do like some crunch as yeah. <laughs> um, I do love some crunch. So if I'm going to like, to be honest, and this is like really bad, but I, I eat chips with almost every meal, like maybe not breakfast, but like when it comes to like lunch and probably dinner, I may have the bag of chips open at some point. <laughs> so there's that crunchy and salty together. And oh, what's another one? I, I guess I do love a little like, uh, I, I, uh, uh, a little sugar. <laughs> That's so basic. I don't know. I mean, I guess a little sugar is good. Like I just realized I could freaking season the hell out of some steak the other day. Like I made some skirt steaks and like I, I found the seasoning that had a little sugar in it. And I was like, I never thought about sugar. Oh my God. And I threw that on there. My girlfriend was like, this is really good seasoning. And I was just like, yep, did it again. <laughs> there you go. I like it. Those are five <laughs> great choices. I'm the same way as far as crunchy. I have to have texture in my food. If it's too yeah. mushy, I don't like it. Even I'm, I, I kind of just moaned a bit at your guacamole, but I'm, but even guacamole, <laughs> I have to have like really diced tomatoes, thick, um, a nice, chunky tomato or something like mm-hmm. that need to have some kind of a texture in my food. So yeah, I love that. Even so. Yeah. And speaking of spices, what are five spices that you need to have in your kitchen at all times? Oh my gosh. Yes. Five spices I need to have in my kitchen. Okay. All right. So you got to have garlic powder. That is always like a nice safe route to go when you're just trying to add a little bit of flavor to something, but you're not entirely sure how it's going to go. Uh, you definitely want to have some sea salt or some kosher salt, something that's a little coarse would be really nice. Um, you definitely want to have some cayenne pepper. If you don't have cayenne pepper in your kitchen, I'm not entirely sure what you're trying to make that tastes good, but you got to have a little cayenne <laughs> pepper in there. <laughs> um, definitely some black pepper, because that's always, again, safe with that you know sea salt taste. It's, it's a little bit of a coarse look, uh, but make sure that it's with the peppercorn. So again, you want to have a little bit of some visual in there, but again, some texture. And I think the last thing you definitely want to have is maybe some onion powder to com- or excuse me, onion powder to complement the garlic powder. You know, so again, if you're trying to add a little bit of flavor, but you're not sure where you're going to go, where you're going to go, those two definitely uh, come together nicely. Good choices, all. I like that. And let's go the opposite now. As far as top five ingredients or flavor profiles, what's the worst five ingredients or flavor profiles you like to have in a meal? Oh, God. <laughs> Five words. Um, I'm not so crazy about coconut. Like, I like coconut water, and I can drink that, you know, whatever, almost on a daily basis. But, like, I cannot have coconut in my food. That's, like, a no-no. Um, oh, my God. I'm not – I okay, so I definitely hate pickles. Super unpopular opinion, but I really don't like pickles. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've had, like – I've had, like, three or four picklebacks in my life, and – you know, I have it, and I'm like, oh, that wasn't so bad. But then I think about it the next time, and I'm like, oh, what were you thinking? So pickles are like, eh. um, no. uh, I, yeah, so I guess the same goes for cucumber. Anytime I'm eating a salad and there's cucumbers in it, I take it out, and my girlfriend's like, can I have those? <laughs> I'm like, you can do whatever you want with them. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so cucumbers. Um, oh, my God, what else? There's not, there isn't too much. I mean, I've, I've gotten a little bit better as a grown up. As a child, it was definitely like, you know, get the shit out of here, but I've gotten a little bit better. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess, I guess I'm not super wild and crazy. Like, I'll have it sometimes. And again, another really unpopular opinion, but chocolate, especially dark chocolate. Like, I'll eat milk chocolate and white chocolate like once a month, maybe, but like dark chocolate, get that shit out of here. None of that. Excuse me. Right. Never, ever. <laughs> And I think that, that's that's four, right? <laughs> Not five. That's four. That's four. 
All right. I think I got one more. I'm pretty sure there's other, there's something else I don't like. There has to be something else I don't like, right? But, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So like anything that's like anything that's like super gooey, like sloppy. Like I like jelly and like, but I won't eat honey like by itself. Like I love honey and like my tea and everything like that, but I will not like. I think stuff that that like goes down that way is like not. <laughs> that's not good for you. That can't be good for you. <laughs> There you go. All right. Very good. That's good. Five ones. All right. What are your five favorite food cities? Five favorite food cities. Oh, my God. This is like, this has to be my favorite question. Okay. Five food cities. Number one is probably going to be New Orleans. I went to New Orleans a couple of years ago, and I think I had something. Yeah. I think I had something new every day. And I think we were there for five days but I had some I had like two or three different new like different things every day it was top notch um next favorite food city was definitely Portland check it out Portland Oregon if you if you've never been or like well you've been but for anybody who's listening if you have not been definitely take like a good three four days you know fly out there chill in an Airbnb and like just have all the food but definitely map it out before you go and be ready to have suggestions on or like take suggestions you know like on the spot um, another city that was really good for food, Austin, Texas. I went there maybe like a year and a half ago. And, you know, for Austin, I, I don't think they've been too much on the map when it comes to, um, you know, having a foodie culture, well, you know, until like pretty recently, I want to say in the last like few years, but it right. has definitely, <laughs> they, they definitely have shown up and it is a very cool city to check out when you are, you know, ready to have some fun food. Um, another city is definitely here in New York. There's a shit ton of options, but it's also, you know, like anything that comes out as far as, you know, trends go or anything that is, you know, like really fun and popular, you know, like attractions, whatever the case is, festivals, it's all happening here in New York. So if you ever want to check out just like, if you want to have like endless options of food, definitely come to New York. And I think my fifth favorite foodie city is probably, I like Miami. I had a good time in Miami with their food. Like, you know, when you go down to South, uh, South Beach, yeah, you go down to South Beach, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of culture happening down there. So you get a lot of, you know, Latin food, a lot of Hispanic food. And it's, it's very, it's, it's fun and it's nice. And I, you know, being somebody from Jamaica, there's one out directly from Jamaica, but being Jamaican, <laughs> um, I do get exposed <laughs> to a lot of foods and those flavors already. So being able to go down there and try things that are, again, very familiar, it's, it's really cool and nice for sure. So I think those top five right there. Great choices. And last five, give me the five most recommended kitchen gadgets to have in your kitchen. Ooh, five most recommended. Okay, so this is going to be off of personal experience. I wish I had a mixer. A mixer is, like, super nice to have when you're, like, really getting that arm work going. Um, So (laughs) a mixer would be cool. Um, I also have a magic bullet. Magic Bullet is freaking awesome. It definitely does the job. Like, I mean, obviously, if you're making smoothies, you can't have anything that isn't blender style. But it is nice when I'm making things like chicken salad, and I don't want to sit there and chop up the chicken. I throw it in there and cuts it up pretty nice for me in a minute or two. Um, nice. Another great kitchen gadget is a slow cooker. Oh, my God. If you don't have a slow cooker, you're only limiting to yourself. The only so many things that you can make. Like, a slow cooker opens up the game so much. So if you can get one of those, that would be really great. Um my toaster oven. Thank God for my toaster oven. <laughs> like it is, it, it is such an upgrade from a microwave and, you know, like obviously a regular toaster. So like a toaster oven is a nice cool addition to have for sure. And uh, 
the Mecca, the queen of it all, my dishwasher. Like, without this thing, I would be so much more miserable <laughs> than I am right now. I like, like it. Those are awesome. <laughs> those are five fantastic five questions kitchen edition. That's my very first kitchen edition for five questions. I like it a lot. I'm going to have to oh, get some more fun. foodies on to do that. Very nice. <laughs> Well, Ramis, it's been amazing getting to talk to you. Let everyone know where they can find your Instagram and uh, follow all these gorgeous uh, travels you've had and these pictures that you take. All right. So you can definitely find me on Instagram at Feed Ramis. That is F-E-E-D-R-E-M-E-I-C-E. And there's where I post all my photos, everything that comes to travel, to food, and anything in between. But definitely check me out there and I'm going to have some new projects coming soon. Hopefully once quarantine is over, <laughs> but that is where everything <laughs> is happening. Fantastic. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the left of straight show. We have to have you back very thank soon. You. I could talk food all day, every day. So thanks for yeah, your time. Definitely. <laughs> thank you. That was awesome. All right. Well, stay on the line for me guys. We're going to play a little music. I'll be here on the other side. Thanks again for me. So you're listening to the left of straight show right here on the left of straight radio network.
righty, guys, we are back. That was Kim Cameron with Simply Naked. Guys, I hope you enjoyed the show tonight. A big thanks to all my guests, Stephanie Schroeder for a fantastic Mental Health Minute, Mike Manning, he was hopefully going to try to come down to the Palm Springs big, uh, big gay road trip and meet us in Palm Springs. I always like to catch up with what he's doing. He has so much projects going on at once. He's just a great producer now. And Ramis Ellis, guys, I fell in love with Ramis on our interviews last week. So I have made her our official new special correspondent foodie. She's going to be coming on every other Thursday here. Stephanie will be on with a mental health minute one week. And then Ramis will be on with a foodie minute the next week, every other Thursday. So look for next Thursday, June 4th, we Ramis's first little Foodie Minute right here on the Leftist Trade Show. I'm excited to have her as part of the team. Hope you guys enjoyed all of the show. Again, go ahead and uh, follow me on Instagram and on Twitter. It's at Straight. That's always spelled L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R and the number eight. On Facebook, the Leftist Straight Show is our page. And my personal, well, you can send me a friend request over there. The website, www.leftofstraight.com, spelled the same way, is going to have all the Big Gay Road Trip information up this weekend. We're trying to get it up this week and just did not get the time to get it done. So be sure to look for that. Tomorrow, we're going to finish up our day five of fantastic shows this week and interviews. And I have some great guests tomorrow. We're going to start it off with a Friday Fitness Minute with our fitness trainer, Jake Dean Taylor. He'll be back on. He was on two weeks ago, and he's got a great topic tomorrow for you. Then we're going to start it off with my interview with Alan Broca. Alan is writer and director of so many fantastic LGBT-themed-oriented films like uh, Rick and Steve, The Happiest Gay Couple in the World. He did all the Eating Out movies. He is bringing back boy culture, which he did back in 2006 with our good buddy Jason Caceres. So we talked to him, have a great conversation with him tomorrow. Then I'm really excited to bring Tyler Jean on. He is the founder of Functional Foods. Tyler is an actual doctor, boys and girls, and he has studied health and nutrition, has some great ideas in nutrition, eating, and what you should be doing for your body and everything. We have a great conversation tomorrow. So it's going to be a good show to end the week on with uh, Friday Fitness Minute with Jake Dean Taylor, an interview with Alan Broca, and an interview with Tyler Jean, the founder of Functional Foods. So that's going to be a lot of fun for you. Remember that I do have the uh, text number up if you want to text any last-minute questions tomorrow Afternoon, I'm going to be talking to Glenn from the Bravo show, which is going to be kind of very cool. And Camp Getaway is what it's called. I promise I'd tell you that again. And so we will have that. And then I'm going to be talking to Tommy Atkins from UK Singer. So it's going to be a kind of fun thing. You can text in if you have any questions for them. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I'm looking forward to tomorrow's show. I hope you guys enjoyed today's. Uh, Go ahead and download tomorrow and be sure to subscribe. Have a great evening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh.